dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Christian leaders have to face a constant dilemma. Belonging to Jesus Christ and at his service, their hearts are focused on heaven. And yet, having to care for the things of this world, their time and their mental capacities are dominated by the things that pass. How do we keep our souls alive and fresh in God when our time is spent with the anxiety and cares of life? This constant problem for Christian leaders could be summed up by the expression, we need to live in the world, but not of the world. Thanks everyone again for giving me your time as we are progressing in our understanding of leadership in the school of St. Gregory the Great, this awesome Pope who in the sixth century wrote a document called the Rule of Shepherds and really laid out for us an understanding of what's at the heart of the dilemmas that a Christian leader faces. And I just think it's so wonderful because he's written this for bishops and particularly, you know, in their charge as rulers over the church, but it is applicable to moms, it's applicable to business leaders, it's applicable to nurses, it's applicable to anyone who's trying to make an impact for Christ in the culture around them. And for that reason, the insights he puts in this document are really applicable regardless of your state in life. In book two, chapters seven and eight, he focuses us in on a really important question and one that might, I think all of you probably struggle with, okay? Because he wants to ask the question, how is it that on the one hand, we're supposed to remain spiritual, faithful, our hearts set on God as if we're going to heaven, and on the other hand, be faithful to our charge in the world. It's almost like we're trying to serve two masters and we know that our Lord said, you cannot serve two masters. But it seems so easy for him to say that, being a Pope, being a religious guy. And he just kind of says, you have to make sure you please Jesus more than you please the world. Make sure not to contaminate yourself in the world when your mind is supposed to be on God. And you want to laugh and you're like, you know what, Pope Gregory the Great, it might be easy for you to say that being a Pope and being a Benedictine monk, for heaven's sakes. But when you're a mom and you've got mess all over your house and you've got all kinds of difficulties facing your family on a daily basis, or when you're in trying to make a startup company thrive against the demands of investors who need to see things happen even before they're possibly happening, and amidst the turnovers and the hiring challenges and the lawsuits and everything that can be thrown your way, I mean, you, you end up just kind of laughing and you're like, I have to be either completely given to this world or completely given to God. And since I'm not completely given to God, I therefore have to be completely given to the world. And how many good Christian people do I see or have I met who have fallen into this way of thinking? It's almost like you can see it in their eyes when you're talking to them. 
They long, like Zacchaeus, who would climb the sycamore tree just because he wanted to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus, who was a wealthy man already, you'd say, why in the world would he want to see Jesus when he has so much wealth? And it's because there's something in the soul that knows that it's made for more. Our hearts are made for something greater than the possession of money, than the possession of power, than the possession of the good name and the esteem of all of the, the friends that we have and all that they could give of us. Think of those who, who manage households and the sheer delight that you can take when your party goes well and your decorations are the latest fashions and everyone in town is talking about you. All these things aren't bad. That's the problem. All these things are actually really good. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having people esteem you or, or being successful in throwing a party. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with having wonderful hairstyles and with dressing in the latest fashions. Nothing wrong with that at all. And that's what makes it so tempting. Just like Zacchaeus, we can also have our hearts full of the things of this world. The thing is, it'll never be enough. No matter how dedicated you serve the things of this world, and no matter how deeply you enjoy them, even legitimately, your heart and your soul is made for something more. No matter how hard we try to act as if the things of this world can satisfy us, and with what frenzy we throw ourselves after accumulating the honors and the, the accomplishments, right, of this life and going to the best of schools and winning first place in, in this or that event, it just, it, it's impossible to be satisfied on the things of this world when you're made for something more. I think of this poem by Francis Thompson that I like so much. He refers to the Lord, to God, as being like a hound that's chasing him. And he says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And under running laughter, up this deed hopes I sped and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmid fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. And the poem goes on and on as verse after verse, the poet talks about how he ran away from God into the things of this world, be it pleasures or be it the knowledge of science or be it the accomplishments that he could work. He was looking for something, anything that could replace his ache for God and he could never do it. Like Zacchaeus, you end up climbing into a tree looking to get a glimpse for that something more. Something that's eternal, something that doesn't die, something that is bigger than you and something that is bigger than your own enjoyment thereof. It's kind of like a God moment, right? A, a fire inside that's making you thirst. It's kind of like a hound of heaven in some ways. And it pushes Zacchaeus to not only see Christ, but open his home to him and receive him for a meal that night that changed his life. I think that all of you hunger for that. I think that all of you wish you had that. 
The very drive that pushes you to success in this world can never be satisfied by this world. That's the paradox. And Pope Gregory the Great comes out to meet Christian leaders, especially with this word to say, you who have been consecrated to God in Jesus Christ at your baptism, recognize that there is something more that you must never leave behind even while you balance precipitously on that crest between the world and between God. You, on the one hand, don't have the luxury of being monks. You don't have the luxury of just giving it all up and saying, I've got to live for God. And you're not supposed to. You have been given the charge of the care of the things of this world. And yet at the same time, you are also invited to not allow yourself to give in to the natural frenzy and anxiety that can just take over your heart if you're not careful. It's actually our Lord himself in Luke chapter 21 who warns us saying, don't give yourself either to drunkenness or carousing. And then he adds a second one, which is really amazing. He says, don't give yourself either to the anxieties of this life, lest that day should come upon you like a trap, which means that anxious cares for this life are just as much a trouble and a, and a trap for us as the giving away to the things of the flesh. And so we are then left in a predicament. Ah, and I would say more than a predicament, in a God moment. This is a chance for us where there's a big breakthrough, where Jesus comes to show us the way to be in the world while not of it. This is Father Nathan. I know that there are many ways to learn leadership, that there's many great methods out there that are even put forth by Catholics. But here at the St. John Leadership Institute, we actually have a unique way of forming leaders. It's called Audeo. That's Latin for I dare. At our campus in Denver, Catholics can learn an authentically Catholic way to become a leader. Check us out on our website, stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. So how do we find this balance? How do we work so that our hearts stay in God, even though our hands stay in this world? It might seem that this is, if we could nail that, boy, we'd have found really a secret for success in so many areas of our life. Well, let me just give you some good news, guys. And that's that the Catholic Church has been answering this question for literally centuries, centuries. It was in the bosom of the Catholic Church that monastic life began amongst Christians and that tension between work and prayer or our hearts being in God and then our hands being in this world, well, that was solved by the monks and has been developed in spirituality through so many circumstances and historical settings that really we can give an answer here that's very certain and very deep. I love the image, for example, that the bishop, St. Francis de Sales, developed. He said that a Christian soul is like a child walking, holding their father's hand in their left hand, while with the right hand, they gather the flowers of the field. And I said, it's a neat image that you have to span these two things. And that means that there's going to be a certain tension always present in our minds. And that's a good and a healthy tension. The temptation we have today is to think that tension is a bad thing and that the goal of our life is to just find a way of ease. And yet actually tension points are often very fruitful moments where new ideas develop 
and where new choices are made that give direction to the rest. And this is exactly one of those tension points. You can't get around the fact that we have two almost opposite things that we're holding in a balance. The life according to the flesh and the life according to God. It would be so much easier if we were just to have only one of those two, which is why so many Christians do that. And St. Uh, Pope Gregory the Great actually kind of calls out those who are tempted to that. And he does it very dramatically. Now, afterwards, he's going to balance this. But I just want to put, uh, put this out there because it's neat to hear a pope being so honest, right? And so understanding of the things that we have to go through every day who are Christians in the world. He just honestly puts out there that there are some who are devoted to God who actually let go of that and throw themselves wholeheartedly on the one side of secular concerns. This is what he writes. He says, For it is often the case that some, as if forgetting that they have been put over their brethren for their soul's sake, devote themselves with the whole effort of their heart to secular concerns. These, when these concerns are at hand, result in transacting. And even when there is a lack of these concerns, pants after them night and day with seethings of turbid thought. And when happily for lack of opportunity, they have quiet from them by their very quiet, they are wearied all the more for they counted pleasure to be tired by action. They esteem it labor, not to labor in earthly businesses. All right. So here's obvious. He's pointing out that, that you know, there's a temptation on the side of those who are spiritual to basically just live in this world completely and to stop that tension to say, you know, I'm going to say I'm spiritual. I'm going to say I'm a spiritual leader, but actually I'm just going to plunge myself so much into the activity and not pray. And you see this all the time amongst good Christian people. They don't have time for prayer. They don't have time to read their Bibles. They don't have time for spiritual reading, you know, and what do they have time for? Well, every next urgency that comes, they try to meet. It's almost like, and he, it's exactly what he says. He says, they get tired from not having things to do and having things that tires them actually makes them happy, right? And so, and, and this is a problem. It's a problem because this is a tension point that we're, we're supposed to resolve by going back towards spirituality, not depriving ourselves from it, right? Because between the two, it is clear that the spiritual has a precedence. And this is really important for us. And the, a point he makes almost dramatically, almost too strongly, but you got to remember always when you're reading St. Gregory the Great, he's writing to bishops. But his, he makes the point extremely strongly saying, listen, the point is that we have to strive after those higher things and not just be, you know, allow ourselves to be lost in the labors of business. Here's what he says. He says, and so it comes to pass while they delight in being hustled by worldly tumults, they are ignorant of the things that are within which they ought to have taught others. And from this cause, undoubtedly, the life also of their subjects is benumbed because while desirous of advancing spiritually, it meets a stumbling block on the way in the example of him who is set over it. For when the head languishes, the members fail to thrive. And it is in vain for an army to follow swiftly in pursuit of enemies if the very leader of the march goes wrong. Now that is such an amazing insight. 
And, and, and this is the insight I want to give you because you're not obviously bishops. You're, you don't have the spiritual care of souls underneath you. And that's a fine thing. But you are Christians. And a Christian is supposed to have a wisdom that is bigger than this world. We are not supposed to, in other words, speak to the world a, a wisdom that only comes from the world. There's nothing wrong with worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom's a fine thing, I suppose. There's many good things to learn in the books of all kinds of different thinkers. But there's nothing that is better than the gospel of God or the wisdom that can be found in the teaching of Jesus Christ. And we who, who say that we follow Jesus, we get the opportunity of giving that wisdom to this world, of meeting the world's questions with an answer that comes from God. Now, isn't that an amazing thought? That you're not just stumbling around without direction on the pathways of life here. You actually know where those pathways are pointing and you have an answer for which every human heart is longing. All right, and so when you look at it that perspective, suddenly my leadership in this world as a Christian, I owe this world something more than simply being a loyal member thereof. I owe this world what I know, which is the pathway for it to move forward and the answer for its deepest longings. I know for what the world was made. And I know what the limitations of this world's greatness are. And I know the answer to the world's longings. I mean, it would almost be cruel if we who are Christians didn't give that answer or didn't offer that wisdom to this world. Not only would we fail God, we would also fail our fellow people in this world. They are looking to us for leadership and we've worked our whole lives in order to put ourselves in a position to give them that answer, then that's what we have to do. We have the ability, in other words, to point a direction for this world. And that's why Christ gave us the power and position and talents and education that he has. Let's not let him down. But obviously to do that, we need to actually be constantly in touch with the higher things. If we let go of our spirituality, of our prayer life, of our reading of the Bible and of scripture, we're going to be like the blind leading the blind. And you know what happens when that's the case? Both fall into the pit. That's what our Lord says. We need to instead be like those who are not blind because now we see, thanks to the grace of Christ, and who offer to this world a convincing, compelling, attractive answer to its deepest questions. This is what we can do and what we must do. But to do it, we have to live that answer constantly ourselves by the depths of spirituality that we know we can cultivate on a daily basis. This is Father Nathan. I want to tell you about a very unique place, the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado. This is a place where young adults learn how to evangelize effectively, not necessarily by speaking about Jesus everywhere, but by transforming culture through the witness of their life and authentic leadership. Besides earning a master's degree or starting a business, they learn that leadership is a path to holiness. Find out more at stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. So what does Pope St. Gregory the Great advise as a way of keeping our spirituality intact even while being present in the world? How do we live in the world but not of the world? Well, of course, we're in book two of his work on the rule of shepherds. 
And he does give some ideas here, but you know, obviously the practicalities of his day and our day are a little bit different. And I want to try to apply them in a way that makes sense to you, right? But the basic heart of it is he says, look, we know that you've got to be involved with this world and you have to, you know, give your very best and your time to the cares of this life. But he says at the same time, don't reject the vision that can come from the deep spirituality that you can develop in yourself if you are disciplined enough to do so. Practically, this is what it looks like. He says, you first put the priority on the spiritual, on the inside, All right? Because for him, he says, that's almost like having a vision, being able to not be lost, he says, like the feet of the body scurrying about in the dust, but being like the eyes of the body at the head, able to see far and not being clouded over by all the dirt and the muck that normally happens in the course of our days. Interesting uh, little treatment here that he does on, by citing the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 21, where our Lord warns us against daily anxieties. I went ahead and did a little research on that word, and I looked it up in the Gospel, and actually the word in Greek for anxiety has its root in the word for division, meaning that a person who is dealing with anxieties is, finds themselves scattered or divided. And I thought, isn't that interesting? That's all the way back to the original Greek word for anxieties. It means to, to have your, your mind elsewhere at the same time. And I said, gosh, that's such a great definition because we can therefore see the real practical implications of allowing ourselves to be lost in this world is that we end up being divided and not having the full forces of our energies focused where they need to be. A leader requires that kind of focus. A leader requires that kind of energies being present. And so we can't afford to have those anxieties on our mind, even from a practical level. And so to go on from that and say, that's why spirituality is so important because in your spirituality, you learn that deeper focus on the outside. I might be scattered. I have to have a meeting here and talk to a person here and get a thing done for this and have this deadline hit. And I've got to balance 20 different, you know, uh, balls at the same time and keep them all up in the air. But if deep down in my heart, I understand why I'm doing that then even though I'm in the world, I'm not of it. In other words, I don't want my life to be a mere collection of balls that I'm juggling up in the air. I want my life to have a unity and a purpose that are on target, All right? Well, that's where my spirituality comes in. I don't know how people can get around saying all the time that they don't know what point faith has in their business life. The next time I hear someone say that, I'm gonna challenge them on it because literally, Faith plays the point in your life of vision, of unity of the long-term goal. And I don't know how it's possible to be so occupied with lesser things and, not, and keep your focus on anything higher without faith. I think that's a beautiful gift that faith gives us is it constantly reminds us of the deep why. Why I'm with my family, why I'm having kids, why I'm volunteering at the baseball team, why I'm effectuating change, why it matters that I fight in the school, school board. It's because, listen, we're only passing through this world and I'm trying to give this world as much of a blessing on my way through it as I possibly can. And yes, that gives me that deep unity. 
And so the very first hint from St. Gregory the Great for all of us who are struggling to make that balance, to be in the world but not of it, he says, in a sense, put your feet in this world, but put your mind in Christ. And honestly, folks, this comes down to our daily prayer life. Please make time for prayer. The busier you are, the more need you have for prayer, not the less. Think of prayer almost like your life preserver, right? You could say, gosh, we've been thrown in the ocean. What good is it to have a life preserver? And then think again, because (laughs) that's actually a really good idea when you're thrown in the ocean to have a life preserver. That's what's going to preserve your life. Well, the ocean is the constant vicissitudes and the whelms of life. And your life preserver, it's your vision and your heart that belong to God given to you by faith and by prayer. When we pray, we pierce through the veil of all of the haze and activities of this life. We go through it to touch something that's permanent, something that's glorious. We keep our hope alive. This is the leadership that we really need to give. Our world can spin into constant anxiety and care so easily. And I think it's because we who have the leadership positions in it and who have those as Christians are not speaking that word of hope loudly enough, that constant reframe that this too shall pass, that there is something even greater than this world, that this world is pushing towards and that measures its true progress. True progress isn't made by pure economic gains. True progress is made by spiritual gains, gains of the soul and of the heart, and economic gains can aid that and help it, but they have to be completed by a surplus of humanity, a growth of the spirit that we can actually show and exemplify when we are friends with Almighty God. In other words, I don't think there's a better friend the world can have than Jesus and the better friend the world can have than a person who knows Jesus. And you who have been given that gift of faith, you've also been given that relationship with your employees, with your teams, with your businesses. My goodness, let that light shine. We have nothing to be ashamed of in proclaiming a life that does not end and a love that's stronger than death. On the contrary, that hope is what this whole world longs for and what we can give it when we live it in depth. This is what Pope St. Gregory the Great's all about. Give your heart to God and then give your hands to this world and united we will give hope and this witness that those who are in the world but not of it speak to this world of why the world exists to begin with and give it its deep meaning. Share great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.